Welcome to the PKN Podcast, where we give you the wrap on all things packaging. Welcome to the PKN Packaging News Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and as ever, I'm joined by Lindy Hewson, Managing Editor and Publisher of PKN Packaging News and the host of this show. Lindy, uh, I see we've got Kim with us, and so I believe that means we've got a lot to unpack today. Yes, Grant, once again, it is time for another episode of our now very regular and quite popular series of Packaging News Unpacked. And this time we're unpacking the news for August. And yes, once again, with me here is Kim Berry. She's the editor of PK and Sister Magazine, Food and Drink Business. And there's so much crossover between the content that both of us cover, Kim. It's great to have you back. Oh, thank you. There is. There is a lot of crossover this month. It's um, It's been a busy time and a very exciting time. Well, last time we spoke uh, was at FUPRO. <laughs> and yeah. yes, as you said, a lot has happened since then. And one of the biggest stories this month and extremely exciting for the packaging industry is the news that two of the biggest players in the Australian packaging value chain, Amcor, that's a, in fact, that's the globally the biggest packaging company, um, Amcor and Mondelez, one of the biggest food companies, snack food manufacturer, have signed investment agreements that will enable the advanced recycling pipeline pioneer Lysella to accelerate the construction of its advanced recycling plant. And this plant is going to be built on the old Dow Chemicals site. And that's, a, so it's a brownfield site in Altona North in Melbourne. And what's exciting here is that it will be the, one of the first of its kind in Australia and will deploy Lysella's Australian developed and pioneered CAT HTR technology to recycle end-of-life plastic, mostly soft plastic, hard-to-recycle plastic, back into a crude oil substitute to produce new food-grade plastic packaging, so a fully circular uh, economy on this plastic recycling. It's a concept or a sentence that you do actually have to read quite slowly because there are so many <laughs> so many components in terms of okay it's end of life plastic and it's what you were just saying like the soft that's remarkable so obviously i i i get that the is it cat or cat the cat htr tech i get that it does that but what actually is it well cat htr of course is a contraction but in scientific terms and kind of simplified. It's an advanced hydrothermal liquefaction technology, which uses hot pressurized water to continuously recycle post-consumer plastic. And so that plastic is plastic that would otherwise have been sent to landfill. It can take the plastic that is pretty, um, it can be pretty dirty as far as I understand it, Kim. And which is one of the problems with when you're recycling plastic mechanically, using mechanical recycling methods, your plastic has to be a really clean source. If you're trying to get soft plastic in, you can't because what we're trying to create here is food grade plastic again. So in other words, if you think back to that Kit Kat wrapper that was made, it was made using this type of technology. That was how they did the trial. Okay. Now, this facility is going to operate under the name Advanced Recycling Victoria, ARV, and it will initially process around 20,000 tonnes per annum of end-of-life plastic, with plans to scale up to 120,000 tonnes per annum. 
And I was speaking to Amcor Flexible's head of sustainability, Richard Smith, and he said this investment marks such a significant milestone in the development of a circular economy for flexible plastics in Australia. And he has long been an advocate of a collaborative value chain approach to solving packaging waste challenges. So this news would have been music to his ears too. Well, he would have been instrumental in the deal, I'm pretty sure. I thought Amcor had already signed an agreement. Or was that on a different project or? No, no, this was, yes, they had signed an agreement uh, a while back to invest in Lysella's facility, this facility. Right. But I think in order to really get get the ball rolling faster to accelerate the process, the coming on board of Mondelez and their money. <laughs> um, <laughs> to, well, they haven't Yay, said, global yeah, confection. They haven't <laughs> said how much. No one's, no one's disclosed exactly how much this whole thing or how, who's invested what. Um, but what I do have, I'm just going to quickly look it up while we, we're talking, Kim, because I think it is important to understand the scale of this project. Um, yeah, because, I mean, I, I – 20,000 tonnes, you know it's a lot, but and particularly if it's sort of soft plastics, that's a lot. Well, that is a lot. And as I said, the plan is to scale it up. So phase one of the project is going to be to get to being able to process 20,000 tonnes. And that's going to cost, from reports that I've read and as what I've understood has previously been said, in the region of $80 million. And then as capacity increases to that 120,000 tons, the investment is going to rise to about $200 million. So it's not it's not a jump change here. Um, it's the size <laughs> no. of the investments. Um, <laughs> but just, uh, just, just very quickly, this um, the collaborative value chain approach, we've seen that as well in uh, another, those, another massive recycling project involving CCAP and Asahi. And it's so encouraging to see these projects actually you know, getting off the ground. Yeah, because this type of collaboration um, and investment from major players is what we need if we're going to successfully scale up Australian packaging recycling innovation. And it demonstrates that demand for recycled packaging exists from big brands. So Mondelez is buying that recycled content. Because they're buying it, that means Lysella has an, an end market for the products that it's manufacturing. And Amcor is manuf- remanufacturing with that crude oil, you know, with that plastic that can be manufactured. So the crude oil will be made into polymer, which will then be used by Amcor to make the film, which will then be printed and used by Mondelez to wrap its chocolates. So Mondelez is currently already using 30% recycled um, content on its Cadbury's wrappers, and that is being sourced by Amcor offshore. And Amcor wants to be using Australian content, of course. Now, Lysella's technology, another interesting side note, is also now being commercialized in global markets as well. And so as they scale up that side of things, they've also decided to shore up their leadership team in preparation. The co-inventor and also chief executive of Lysella is Len Humphreys. He is going to step out of the CEO role and become executive chairman on the board. They've bumped up their board and they've also appointed Alan Nickel, he is currently the MD, he's going to become the CEO. And then there's a whole raft of other executive appointments across the board and, and on the team as well, which I won't go into here. But basically, this thing's got legs and it's starting to mm, run. Yeah. And how exciting for Lysella uh, that they've developed this technology, that it's Australian, uh, and that now it's getting this level of backing and it's going to, uh, I mean, that is just tremendous. Um, so, look, when we're looking at 
something like this, like bringing these new recycling infrastructure uh, projects on stream. I guess one of the key questions is, do we have enough feedstock to yes. supply it? Well, that is a, a key question. Well, uh, you know, as we know, with the red cycle collapse, you can pretty quickly pile up tons and tons of, of plastic. Yeah. And unfortunately, I'm not sure if we're going to be able to hold on to that plastic for until 2025. Uh, the supermarket task force, as you know, has been dealing with that problem. Um, and I guess there will be approvals required to, to keep it. But be that as it may, whatever the decision is around that, Supermarket Task Force has decided that they will be bringing back some form of in-store soft plastics collection again, because there was quite a good uptake. But um, interestingly, of all the soft plastic that comes on the market, and by soft plastic, of course, I'm talking about the very common flexible pouch, and I'm only talking consumer products at this point. I'm not talking about soft plastic that's industrial waste. Um, of all of that, uh, Red Cycle was only collecting a mere 4% of what gets put out on the market every year. So, you know, a lot of naming, blaming, shaming, but still, there's a heck of a lot of it that is still going into landfill. So, to address this, <laughs> one of the very exciting projects that's coming on stream and that I've just recently had uh, the good fortune to chat some more about is the National Plastics Recycling Scheme. And this is being spearheaded by the Australian Food and Grocery Council. There's a lot of brands that brand owners that are members of the AFGC who have a vested interest in seeing to it that there's some kind of extended producer responsibility scheme or some kind of scheme around how their soft plastics will eventually get back into new soft plastics. Um, so Tanya Barden, the AFGC CEO, has spoken to me this month on the PKN podcast and brought us up to speed with progress on that. They've been doing trials, curbside recycling trials, and what they found through their consumer surveys that they did afterwards is that there were people who were now on board with doing curbside that weren't actually taking their soft plastics back to store in the red cycle scheme. So there's a whole bunch of new compliers here. There are people who obviously were aware of Red Cycle and who are now thrilled to be able to do it by curbside. And we know in Australia that we have a high level of compliance when it comes to curbside recycling. Now the trick is to find the solution that works, whether it's um, and it's to find a bag that's sturdy enough that doesn't split because the idea would be that you have a special bag that you put that soft plastic in and you you pass it on there. So more details of that is going to emerge. Um, they really are progressing it. It's a very exciting development and um, really good that the AFGC is leading this project. Well, they're really at the, I mean, it's at the front line. Yeah, of, no, it really is. Know. And it's got all those members. As <laughs> of I the industry. But speaking yeah. of the AFGC, Kim, they've just released their state of the industry report, which I think related to the 21-22 year. So, That's right. um, what did that reveal? Yes, yeah, so if we can hark back to 21-22, <laughs> we were still, believe it or not, in the land of, you know, we were still dealing with the pandemic. Uh, there were still significant supply chain woes and then there were lots of exciting weather events, primarily flooding. And we also, that's when we started to see the inflation issue start to become more of an issue. So, this so it showed that the industry's value did actually grow by just over seven percent to one hundred and forty-four billion dollars, but Tanya Barden was at pains to um, to stress that that was really headline headline value growth. You know that it was driven by inflationary prices and also from um, recovering 
export market as some of those, you know, export supply chains, but export markets started to open up again and that it wasn't actually reflected across the rest of the sector. So employment was down 1% and she also pointed out that that, you know, 1% doesn't sound like that, but the majority of that was in regional areas. They were the ones that were most affected by labour shortages and also affected by the COVID border closures. One of the other things that it pointed out, and I think this is of real concern, I guess, is capital investment across the whole industry is flat. It's only at 1.6% growth. And then when you pull out the larger food production manufacturing subsector, that showed 12.3% contraction year on year. I find that quite surprising. Uh, we've just got to remember that, yes, this was still sort of pandemic land, but even so, like 12% in from the big end of town is a lot. But one, a nice highlight, I guess, <laughs> was beverage manufacturing Investment was up 55% to $1 billion. Well, and it's, you know. We're going to talk some more about that because beverage manufacturing equals beverage packaging (laughs) required. Yeah, Um, exactly. So, um, I think that is a boom sector. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is something that the AFGC and, and, and Tanya Barden talk about a lot is, you know, this industry, this sector is vital and um, but the margins are very often very thin or very close and um, it does need a lot of investment and a lot of, um, you know, just capital to really push it to then be able to bring in better processes and more efficient equipment and um, all of those aspects of, of operating as a manufacturer. So that, yes, that slowdown in consumer spending post-COVID has impacted some of the bigger players in the packaging industry too. And Amcor, the world's largest packaging company, which, as you know, has got Australian beginnings and still has a huge operation here, notably Amcor Flexibles, which is behind the Lysella deal that we just talked about. They have seen an 11% downturn in profits on revenues that were largely unchanged from last year. And they're citing the cause as shoppers fighting cost of living pressures, so that inflationary thing's coming in, um, and also because they're buying in bulk now and customers are continuing to destock after the end of COVID restrictions. So that could be customers that were buying, that's their customers, their end user customers that were buying up material, keeping it in warehouses in case they had to do a lot of supply. Now they're working through that um, extra stock. So, Amcor says it expects the first half of the new financial year to remain flat, but it says growth will return in the second half next year of next financial year. So there is they're expecting this to turn around, which is good. They, I always use them as the kind of barometer. Two other major players, PAC Group and Aurora, also face similar challenges. For PAC, which did have a slight revenue rise, it still ended the year in the red because of investment it's had to make in its packaging and sustainability segment. Now, what's interesting here is PAC is a manufacturer of, let's say, many things, but let's use the PET bottle as an example. They are incorporating recycled content into those bottles. Now they've got, as you know, that's that 
joint venture investment that they have with CCEP, Coca-Cola Europe Pacific Partners, and Asahi. That's the one I was. Yeah. Yes, that's what yes. we were trying to refer to earlier. <laughs> um, but in and and some of their products that they make have thirty percent recycled content. Some has a hundred percent recycled. Whatever it is they're trying to do, it's not what they were doing quite before, and as a result, they need to upgrade their equipment. And because of they need this new technology to efficiently produce packaging with recycled content, they've got to invest in all of this. Um, so there's a lot of debt around that. Now, to pay for this debt, Pact has sold a 50% stake in its crate pooling business and its ma crate manufacturing business to Morrison & Co., a global infrastructure investment manager for $160 million, And that will pay down a substantial chunk of that debt. For Aurora, similar challenges, but it's can business. Cans, drinks cans. It's going great guns. Uh, can do. 10% growth in the last year. And Aurora's had two plant upgrades that have come on stream in Victoria to um, investment to the tune of 110 million. A little bit of backing there. I don't know how much, but Victoria government got involved. And then they've also got another 85 million earmarked for a multi-size can site that has already begun construction in Reevesby in New South Wales. So overall, $195 million investment in total, putting their money where Aussie consumers' mouths are, <laughs> i.e. drinking, uh, drinking beers, RTDs, and soft drinks from aluminium cans. Yep. Well, I, I, we spoke about this, I think, I think we've probably spoken about it in the last two sessions that we did, but the RTD market in Australia is really just going gangbusters. And in their, um, you know, financial, uh, presenting his financials, uh, it was a case uh, with Endeavour Group uh, that um, CEO Steve Donoghue said, look, <laughs> They, they almost, it's just growing at a rate that it, it's like its own sort of little phenomenon and that he likened it to the late 90s when uh, the Ruskies first came onto the market, you know, the lemon Ruskies and the uh, – he said it's like that but twice as big and twice as fast. It is incredible. We are seeing people um, not only looking at cans, although cans the, the major area because I think – the buy-in to, to the aluminium can, knowing that it's infinitely recyclable. Although, let's just make a quick side note, we're not recycling them onshore. There is no aluminium recycling facility onshore, but they are effic efficiently collected and um, recycled and the, and the material can be reused. So, it, it is something you can feel comfortable about sustainability as a proposition. Now, speaking of market drivers for growth in cans, two major end users of beverage packaging are Beam Suntory and Fruco Suntory, and they've created a new $3 billion partnership in Australia and New Zealand. They've announced that, which brings 40 beverage brands together under the, the banner of Suntory Oceania. Now, Kim, give us a bit more. I think if you ever wanted to look on a company that was – really ambitious and uh, really excited about what they do and the, you know, the, the um, projection of their company, you would just have to look no further. This project, the excitement level <laughs> from coming, emanating from the company is almost like a, you know, source of, source of energy. And I had a chat with Frucor Suntory's CEO, Darren Fullerton. And we've sort of had a couple of chats in the last 12 months or so because there's so much happening. With, there was so much happening with Frucor. They were already hugely ambitious, getting a footprint in Australia because their production facilities in New Zealand were just at capacity. 
And the company has invested $400 million in a site in Queensland that's going to be zero emissions. And Darren was actually telling me that the facility, they've actually, as it goes along, the, the technology and the, and the, you know, opportunities are getting even more so. So, they're, the energy savings and the efficiencies, it's going to be almost like a held up to the world in terms of this is, this is what we're all aiming for. And I think it's really, it's just really exciting. Well, I mean, uh, it's it's got to be exciting. It's the largest FMCG investment in Australia in more than 10 years. And hopefully by the time the next AFGC <laughs> report comes out, Kim, um, that will reflect uh, differently that there will be, because this is major plant. And when it opens in mid-2024 from a packaging perspective, it will be able to produce up to 20 million cases of drinks a year. I'm seeing lots of wraparound case packers um, with a site <laughs> designed for significant scaling to more than 50 million cases in the future. Think bottles, think cans, think cardboard boxes, think pallet wrap. And it's doing everything as well. Yeah, it's doing everything. It's doing alcohol. It's doing water. It, it'll cover the full gamut of Suntory Oceana. Well, speaking of big beverage players, there's been an interesting fracas around the hard solo launch. That's Asahi's uh, CUB division, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, we ran a story, is hard solo's livery designed to lure? (laughs) <laughs> like that alliteration one of the best, there. One of our best, one of our best headlines yes. of the year. Ours. Exactly. I see how I'm claiming that. Oh, Very no, well yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, um, so when it launched, uh, there was a lot of hue and cry in, in the public domain and even in parliament. And independent market research firm Lewis, they are a market research and strategy firm, decided uh, off the back of that to survey Australians to see how they feel about this new hard solo brand extension into alcohol beverages. So, Solo, of course, we all know and love. Now, <laughs> the packaging is is the point of contention, the branding and mm. packaging, because it is very similar to the soft drink Solo brand. Although it's black and the other one is yellow, it doesn't matter. Reversed out. It's just kind of mm. reversed out and the Solo is very strong. Um, so, it's considered by some to be potentially confusing young consumers. In fact, it's considered by 45% of the respondees to the survey, and it's quite a comprehensive survey, 1,511 people responded, um, which I think is pretty robust, and it's across a broad spectrum of the population as well. And they thought it promotes drinking to minors, and we have got more details of the results on our website. But, Kim, what is uh, CUB's position on this? Well, they view it as this is just an this is, is was an opportunity for us to give a new product to our customers, you know, and and it was also you know this is a brand for them that has it does actually have great identity. It's a heritage brand, and Barry Irwin, the chair of Bega, was talking about this on their financial call this week as well. You know, they have four brands within their stable that are over a hundred years old, and how do you you know when you have these heritage brands trying to keep them current and keep them advancing, and that's what CUB has here is a heritage brand. They've moved and made a product that is an RTD that we were just talking about is going gangbusters. And I would say that this is, uh, you know, this is their version. This is them taking on the minus 196. I think that's how you pronounce it. I think that's what it's called. All the kids are drinking it these days, Lindy. Oh, Um, I hope not, Kim, but I didn't hear that. And it's, uh, (laughs) well, you know, kids I say as in like, you know, I'm now old and so anyone below the age of about 30 is a kid. (laughs) Um, But, uh, yeah, I mean, that. 
again, that was another drink that the negative uh, people who are listening are going to hate this, but it's a minus one nine six, I think it's called, and it's classified as almost having its own category because it's so popular. And so this is CUB with a product that they're able to pull upon that um, that association now, and they will say with adults who drank solo when they were young who have that familiarity and that loyalty to that brand, they might buy this instead of minus one, nine, six. Well, I must say that, you know, Fraca or not, controversial or not, the brand is on the market with pretty much no advertising. <laughs> Asahi has um, had the benefits of this because across that same survey, 42% of respondents were aware of the new variant, and that's no easy feat. It monopolized 10 minutes of discussion on Gruen during Prime TV, and it has independent M MPs voicing their disdain about the new variant on the floor of Parliament. So it stirred up a latent controversy um, from the brand's macho image from 30-plus years ago when it launched solo. It's caused a lot of discussion um, and Lewis reckons that Asai is probably delighted with the exposure that yes. it's, <laughs> well, that it's you know, received. So, I mean, the, the, the line, any publicity is good publicity, doesn't really work in food and beverage. But I would say that this was probably one where they'd just go, you guys, you guys keep debating it. That's fine. But I do know from my... Uh, Underage my drinkers? <laughs> who are in the, I didn't say that. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 of course not. But um, my, um, they're all talking about it. They're all talking about it. They're all like, you know. Yeah. And it's and it's it, that's been generated from this discussion, really. Well, it's, yeah, it's really know, we interesting. We always end up landing on alcohol, Kim. I mean, we seem to find <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know why. I have no idea why. <laughs> we're recording on Friday <laughs> and we're looking it is, forward it's a, it is. I, okay, we've had it's a Friday it, afternoon <laughs> <laughs> but moving on swiftly um, to back to more sterner topics um, as you recall from earlier this year the environment ministers have pledged to step in with it when it comes to packaging legislation but of course saying it and doing it are two different things and there's a whole process that now has to happen industry consultation very important the government is really getting on with that but at the same time the um, body that sits between industry and government the Australian Packaging Covenant Organization has really been stepping up um, its engagement with industry and at the moment they're running a roadshow and talking to all their members around the country, sold out events. People are really keen to hear that it's an interactive event. They can give their feedback straight away on their smartphones or on their iPads. And um, what's what's coming through very strongly from participant feedback is a strong support for recycled content targets and mandatory partic participation in extended producer responsibility schemes. So that bodes well for any mandates that are going to come in. APCO is also addressing members um, about its own changes that it needs to make uh, so that it has more power uh, to, well, power um, to to be more effective as a body because it need it they we do need an expanded overseeing um, instrument or organization that will allow industry to be informed, have the tools they need, have the infrastructure they need, and for government to be able to liaise with industry around that, while government can take on that whole policing role on the mandating that it's doing. So that is quite an important advance that's happened because it ha seemed to be all quiet, but actually it's not all quiet. Waiting for the next thing to come through will be as a result of all these discussions, intense documentation and work that's happening behind the scenes. 
And while this is all happening, we're seeing a lot of investment ongoing in, in, in recycling infrastructure being announced all the time. And the latest one, and we can end on this positive note, um, is that Fizzy has just invested in what it calls the most advanced paper recycling technology in the world. This is what um, Busy Chairman and Executive Chairman Anthony Pratt says. They unveiled it yesterday, um, and, and when I say yesterday, we're recording today on the 25th of August. So um, at the end of August, let's say, they've just unveiled this $42.5 million upgrade to the paper recycling and remanufacturing campus in Coolaroo. So again in Victoria. So Victoria is becoming quite a hub <laughs> of advanced manufacturing. Premier Daniel Andrews was there, um, Tanya Plibersek was there, so it was a real who's who of the environmental matters of government and of industry giants, really. And what this means is that any piece of waste paper that goes through a Victorian curbside recycling bin now has the capacity to be recycled into new packaging in Victoria. It never has to be landfilled. It never has to be exported. Um, it's going to double Busy's curbside recycling capability in Victoria and divert up to 180,000 tonnes of paper and cardboard annually from Victoria's landfills or exports. So, um, yeah, that's, that's again, good that's news. Amazing. You know? yes. It is good news. We need a lot of it to come on stream. But there is – we can't say there hasn't been progress. Yeah. I think even just today, in just in August, there has – been some really sizable investments and some really major and uh, you know advancements. It's very, it's very sort of reassuring. I think. <laughs> keep going. Keep going. Keep pouring money in. <laughs> keep being really smart and developing the technology. Importantly, also keep buying products that can create that pull through. And there's a long, strong call for government to step up its purchasing of recycled content products as well uh, because of course they've got huge purchasing power yeah absolutely well i think we better stop talking um it is friday afternoon after all um i'm sure there's a cool rtd waiting for you in the fridge kim <laughs> <laughs> we did have a we did have a uh, we did have a new one come um in, come into to the office this week so it is in the uh, fridge but um yes i did see I, i'll that. report yes report mm. back report back and um <laughs> We look forward to the next instalment, which will be the end of September, and that will be after PAC Expo. So I'm off to Vegas um, to have a look at what's going on in the North American market. Very exciting. We're going to have so much to uh, to talk about then. You're go you've got overseas, you know, trips. I've got overseas trips. It's just we're just continental. That's what I, that's what we're going to be. <laughs> I feel a song coming on. Grant, you better take us out. <laughs> <laughs> I think so because I'm starting to get jealous because I'm not really going very far. But hey, you know, got to be careful, Indy, because they say what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So how can you report on, a, on an event in Vegas? <laughs> well, let's say I won't report on any RTD consumption in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, I think it's time to definitely go and uh, get some alcohol, given that it's late on a Friday afternoon. So thanks, Kim. Thanks, Lindy. And of course, thanks to our audience for joining us today. Don't forget, if you enjoyed what you've heard, you can like us on iTunes as this helps others discover our show. We'll be back in the not-too-distant future with another informative discussion. But until then, have a great day. The PKN Podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of PKN Packaging News, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of PKN Packaging News, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. 
If you wish to use any of this podcast audio, please contact us via the website or send an email to editor at packagingnews.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's packaging industry at packagingnews.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media.